What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on Friday, December 22nd, 2017. I want to wish everybody a happy holidays, no matter where you are, whether you're in the United States or outside of the country. We hope you guys are having a wonderful time of the year and spending it with your family and loved ones. And we want to thank you for spending your time with us here today on the show we got a lot to talk about the early signing period is popping off we'll talk about Ohio State's class of 2018 recruits and all the other stuff going on with Ohio State football and to do that I am joined by my usual co-host and fellow Lane Grant Holy Lane contributor Patrick Mayhorn Patrick what's up man do you even are you one of those people that doesn't know what day it is because the holidays are right around the corner because it took me a second there to remember it was Friday <laughs> um yeah I I kind of am one of those people I'm I'm generally not super organized um and and kind of adding on to the the chaos with you know all of the recruiting and you know adding that into the the chaos of the holidays I'm completely out of it I I spent pretty much all of Wednesday covering recruiting and you know updating pages, recording podcasts, things like that. Uh, so I'm I've I spent pretty much all of yesterday just asleep. Um, it, it's been a it's been a chaotic week, but I think I know where I am. Um, I think I know what day it is, and I, I think I'm ready to talk about Buckeye recruiting and some some other Ohio State. Uh, related news. Speaking of that related news and chaos, it literally just came down on Twitter about five minutes ago before we started recording from David Ferrones. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Sports reporter for the Sun Sentinel out in Miami, Florida, that Ohio State wide receiver Trevon Grimes is going to transfer to the program and transfer to the University of Florida. We're going to hit this before we talk about the early signing period because it just came down the wire. Grimes was a high four-star, almost five-star recruit in last year's class, only played in a couple games this season, had three catches for 20 yards, but he was a guy that had a ton of hype in high school and had a knee injury, I think his senior year, tore his ACL, but he was a guy that a lot of fans were excited about, the coaching staff was excited about, but sounds like he's going to transfer to Florida due to some uh, family health reasons, so hope that everything's okay with Trevon and, you know, not going to disparage any kid for transferring but especially one that uh, is doing so to be close to home but in terms of what this means for Ohio State football what uh what sort of impact do you think that this is going to have Patrick well uh, it is certainly it's a you know it's a bummer for Ohio State and it's a bummer for Trevon because he wasn't I mean he was not unhappy at Ohio State he was Ohio State was his choice and had been his choice for you know years um, and just you know, circumstance as you mentioned, as you mentioned, some you know family health issues. Ultimately, it was a better idea for him to be close to home, and I wish him nothing but the best at Florida. Um, but this, I mean, this really hurts Ohio State. Um, he's a great player. Uh, Ohio State certainly is not really in a place where they can just afford to be giving away receivers. Um, that's been probably their their worst position as of late. Uh, especially with you know true receivers, which he is, and it's it's really I think he would have seen significant playing time next season, and Ohio State is certainly not uh, they, they do not have too many good receivers, and you can never really have too many good receivers, but it's just it's a tough loss because I think he's a really talented player. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of people were very excited about him, 
and it, it would not have surprised me to see him kind of break out in his sophomore year or even in his freshman year. As you mentioned, he had a couple catches before uh, leaving the program to go back home to Florida. But this is, you know, this is a bummer. This is certainly not the kind of you know thing where you could chalk it up to attrition and Ohio State trying to make room. This is this is a big loss for the Buckeyes. You know, I think in a sense I disagree a little bit, and and I'll say why it is a bummer because he is supremely talented, and I agree with you that he would have seen major playing time with another year in the program. And to be quite honest, I, I think that not only just potential wise, but just as you mentioned, in terms of being a true receiver, that he's probably has a better skill set than a lot of the other guys on this roster. And I think in that sense, it's a bummer. But on the other side, Ohio State right now, they, they aren't loaded at receiver. But looking at the depth chart and the roster, there's only like two guys that are, are for sure not coming back next year. You go through it, Austin Mack is going to be back. Terry McLaurin's going to be a senior. Benjamin Victor's going to be a junior. He's probably the guy in my mind that is going to ascend to that true number one role, especially if the offense looks different with Dwayne Haskins under center for a full year. And then you have Paris Campbell, who I, I would assume is not going to declare for the NFL draft. We'll find out here after the Cotton Bowl. And then K.J. Hill, who isn't going to leave. C.J. Saunders is a guy who's probably going to get a lot more run next season. And when you go back and watch the plays that he was involved in this year, all but maybe one or two of them were with Dwayne Haskins when he was on the field late in those blowout games. So those two already have a little bit of a rapport. And I think that C.J. Saunders is going to play a much bigger role in the offense next season. And then Johnny Dixon, who I know you think could leave to go to the NFL, I am a little bit more skeptical on. He's a great deep threat, and he, he provides that aspect that I don't think any other receiver in this offense does. But I don't know if he's quite ready physically to make that jump. But even if him or another one of those guys, Campbell or Hill, goes, I think that with a trio of Mack and Victor and then you add Campbell, K.J. Hill, or C.J. Saunders, you're pretty set there. And then you already have the guys coming in in this class, which we'll talk about here in a second, in uh, Cameron Brown and uh, Cameron Babb. So it's not like Ohio State is lacking for receivers, but it definitely does hurt to lose a talent like Grimes. Yeah, I think my main concern with the receivers and not that this wouldn't have impacted Grimes um, is that I know who's coaching them. And it's just it's <laughs> I don't disagree, it's very man. hard for me to trust that they'll be actually good because I can see the rankings next to their names. And, you know, Benjamin Victor was a high four star. Johnny Dixon was a very high four star. These are very talented players, but it's just I don't know if they'll be good because they really haven't shown that they can consistently make plays and get separation. And I don't know how different the offense will look next season. But if it's you know, if it's the same thing. It, the the loss of a naturally talented receiver and a player who played receiver in high school, unlike someone like Paris Campbell, who you know played running back, it's just that loss certainly hurts. And while the the depth is there and the talent is, you know, theoretically on the roster, I don't know if they'll be able to take advantage of it. And it's it might just be Ohio State cynicism that's you know kind of broken me over the the last couple of years of them not being able to pass the ball consistently, but. 
uh, it's certainly not good in my mind to be losing a high four-star receiver. I think the coaching is is definitely a valid concern and one that we'll get into more as the offseason rolls on. Jalen Harris is also a kid that I, I don't want to forget to mention. 6'5", 205, was a freshman this year out of Cleveland Heights. He has a lot of potential as well. So Ohio State certainly isn't lacking for talent at the wide receiver position. But as you said, and I think it's very fair to point out that you know, is the coaching going to be there? Because the, these guys are very talented and haven't put it together in the way that I think a lot of people thought they would. So something to look out for as we head through the offseason, but wanted to hit that note first. So best of luck to Trevon Grimes in his journey back to Florida and at the University of Florida. He'll be playing with, presumably, Emory Jones as a starter for Florida next year. I don't know if Felipe Franks is going to be uh, their starter again next year, but I guess Grimes... We'll probably have to sit out a year, but good move for him, and we'll see how it plays out for both parties. But moving on to the biggest story of this week, not only for Ohio State, but also for college football in general, we had the first iteration of the early signing period around college football ending today. There's really no more news on the Ohio State front. Most of the kids that were planning to sign this week have already done so. There's a couple of stragglers still left out there today. But Ohio State got 21 signees through the first two days. Good for second in the 24-7 sports composite behind Georgia, who made like a ridiculous push there at the end. Ohio State's average rating is 93.97. That is number one nationally. So uh, another great recruiting class. We're going to get into some of the negatives and some of the other crazy stuff that happened this week. But before that, what are your main takeaways from this class? What do you think the strengths are? And what do you think about the class overall? Um, overall, as you know, as you mentioned, it's a great class. Uh, obviously, when you have an average ranking right around a, a mid to high four-star prospect, uh, that's you know, it's hard to complain about that. And, uh, you know, we will certainly touch on kind of a, a disappointing finish, uh, even though the class isn't done yet, but some some bad misses and some decommitments. But overall, this is a really strong class. Um, there's a lot of, I think, firepower uh, on the outside. Guys like Jalen Gill, uh, Jeremy Ruckert, who I think is probably going to be one of the best tight ends Ohio State has seen. Uh, to Roger Mitchell, great linebacker. There's there's talent really all over the field. It's a it's a really balanced class. Um, I like a lot of the guys in this class. One of the one of the guys who I was raving about in our Slack chat on Wednesday uh, is a guy who really doesn't get talked about a ton, but Brian Sneed, uh, running back out of Florida, who pretty much just committed to Ohio State back in. 2015 or 2016 very early on and just stopped doing recruiting just stopped going to camp stopped doing much of anything and i i think he's a stud and he's going to be great at ohio state but overall it's a really talented class and it, it kind of got overshadowed by the disappointing finish but you know going out and getting a guy like cameron brown late and you know getting guys like tyreek johnson late and matthew baldwin to fill the quarterback position i think that they did a solid job and it's a it's another really good class built onto a roster comprised entirely of really good classes you talked about balance and for me that's probably the best word to describe this class because there, there's there's three position groups that stand out in my mind and you touched on a couple of them and let, let's talk about running back because you have three guys and Brian Sneed, Jalen Gill and Master Teague and when you look at Ohio State's depth chart right now Mike Weber still has a decision to make after the Cotton Bowl who knows what he's going to end up deciding whether he'll go to the NFL or stay for another year but I think at the very least we, we know that 
Mike Weber's going to be gone after the 2018 season, and J.K. Dobbins is on the three-year plan. He is gone after 2019. So it's important to, to get ahead of those departures and be ahead of the curb on that. And when you have three guys like Brian Sneed, Jalen Gill, and Master Teague, who I don't think are the same same type of backs. You know more about them than I do, but Jalen Gill maybe is a little bit more of an all-purpose back. Uh, Brian Sneed is you know your classic Florida back that can basically do it all. Same with Master Teague, kid from Tennessee, which a lot of people like, has a, a great name as well. But I really like what they have at running back and think that those guys kind of bring something different to the table, and it gives them that depth. The running back class is... I, I think it's phenomenal. Um, Master Teague is a guy who I like a lot. He has a great frame, a uh, bit bigger of a back, uh, kind of in the Mike Weber, Carlos Hyde mold, a bit of a bowling ball. Um, whereas Brian Sneed is, you know, as you mentioned, he can do it all. Um, Florida running backs are traditionally extremely talented. This is kind of a, kind of the kind, like the, the type of running back that you saw at Florida under Urban Meyer. Not, not really the the top end speed that some of those guys had but just a very balanced, very talented, explosive running back. And, you know, Jalen Gill is obviously the the highest rated of the bunch, um, and he's he's a stud. Uh, I got the chance to see him play live this season, and he's one of the faster high school football players I've ever seen. He he can do it all. Uh, I'm not sure where he'll end up at Ohio State. My guess is probably that, that Curtis Samuel, Dontre Wilson, you know, Percy Harvin-style H-back slot but uh I, I think just overall the talent that they they added to the roster with this class you know not just at running back but all over the field will help out you know maybe not right away because there's plenty of depth on the roster but there are guys in this class who can contribute as freshmen uh and i think that jalen gill of all the th the you know three running backs that we mentioned i think he probably will contribute as a freshman because he's just too talented to keep off the field a couple other position groups that i thought stood out from this class the linebackers with dallas cannon outside linebacker and then the two inside backers from virginia Kayvon pope and tarada mitchell both two highly rated guys can do a lot on the field and then defensive tackle ohio state picked up the number one defensive tackle in the country in Teron Vincent. Plus they got Tommy Togai. I don't know if I'm saying that right from, uh, from Idaho I infamously or famously from that hugging video of Larry Johnson and urban Meyer. And then Antoine Jackson, Jr. A, uh, a junior college transfer. If you haven't checked out his story, it's, Really cool and also very indicative of how the NCAA holds power over these players. A kid that wanted to transfer to Ohio State from Auburn, got blocked, had to spend a year at Blinn College in Texas, but now back at Ohio State. And as we've seen with Ohio State's defensive line in recent years, it you can never have enough, whether it's a defensive end or defensive tackle. They like to do sub packages no matter what down it is. And when they can cycle guys and be consistent at both of those spots, I think it's it's easy to see how Ohio State's defensive line has been so dominant as of late. And then you pair that with a, a three-star guy like Pickerington's uh, Alex Williams and then probably at least one or two more kids at that defensive end spot in this class when we get to the usual February signing day. I think it's a strong haul for the defensive tackle class and on the defensive line. Yeah, there was some certainly some concerns about the defensive end recruiting uh, in this cycle as it looks like some of those, as it looked like, uh, it doesn't currently, but it looked like for a time that some of those defensive ends that we alluded to were trending away from Ohio State. Um, you know, and as Ohio State lost Brenton Cox ultimately to Georgia. But, uh, you know, when you have a 
a guy like Larry Johnson recruiting the defensive line and obviously Urban Meyer is still at the helm, it's hard to doubt them and their ability to recruit and to, to finish a class. And with the defensive tackles that they have in this group and some of the guys that they have left on the board at defensive end, uh, I, I think that the defensive line recruiting will be just fine. And you know, even with probably what will be quite a few losses on the defensive line after this season either to the nfl or graduation or you know even even some depth that might be transferring out we'll we'll have to just wait and see but in general i think that ohio state's defensive line depth will be fine when this class is over and i I think that they did a great job especially on the interior of that defensive line of you know bringing in talent you mentioned teron vincent and you know antoine jackson and i also don't know how to pronounce tommy togiai's last name (laughs) uh that's probably right but i I think those are three guys who are very talented and should contribute pretty early on in their careers at ohio state yeah a minute ago you brought up uh guys that have the potential to do that and you look at that defensive tackle class and vincent is a guy that stands out because draymond jones is almost certainly gone to the nfl he's going to be a first round pick tracy sprinkles graduating jalen holmes saw a lot of time inside this year he's graduating and then he, you, you you look at what they have coming back for 2018 and vincent is going to be in the mix should be in the mix along with those other two guys with other players that are already there, like Malik Barrow, Devon Hamilton, Deshaun Cornell, and Haskell Garrett, who was very highly touted in last year's class. So it, it remains to be seen whether a, a guy like Vincent will come in and just grab that starting spot. Robert Landers, also a guy big big fan of here on the podcast. Love me some Bob Landers. <laughs> yeah, he, he should be in the mix there, and it, it wouldn't be a surprise by the end of next season or the middle of next season to see a guy like Vincent getting 50-60% of the snaps inside. Yeah, and a guy who you mentioned, uh, Antoine Jackson Jr., the Blinn College transfer, former Auburn player, I wouldn't be surprised if he started next season. Um, He's already... Technically, he would he, he was in the 2015 class, so he would be a junior at Ohio State if he had originally picked Ohio State. Um, I think that he has the maturity level, the talent level, and the you know the physicality needed to start at Ohio State. If they need defensive tackles to, to come in and play, which I really don't think they do, uh, they, they certainly have depth. Uh, but if they need to move someone like Jay Sean Cornell to defensive end or back to defensive end, I think Antoine Jackson could start alongside whoever's down there if it's you know, if it's Landers, if Draymond Jones for some reason decides to come back, um, whoever they decide to put in there, I think Antoine Jackson could be a very talented addition to that defensive line as soon as he gets on campus. Yeah, and you can't discount how important it is that Jackson already has that experience playing major level college football when he was at Auburn. So he's been through a fall camp, he's been through spring ball, he kind of knows that grind as a freshman and played juco ball last year but he already has that experience where a a guy like vincent and even other highly touted guys around the country no matter how good you are there's a little bit of an adjustment period when you get into that college lifestyle both on and off the field so jackson having that experience plus that being a position of need it seems like he would be the most likely on that defensive line to kind of step in right away and be a major presence Uh, another guy you alluded to earlier on offense jeremy ruckert at tight end. I don't know if you do this or any of our listeners do. If if you do, please send me a tweet at Dubsco and, and let me know that I'm not just the only weirdo in the world who does this. But do you ever see a player, no matter what the sport is, and you don't know anything about him, but you just see their name and you think like, either that guy's a bust, there's no way he's any good, or that guy's a stud. Whenever I hear Jeremy Ruckert's name, 
I thought that that's a tight end and this guy's going to be really good. <laughs> um, yeah, I do do that. <laughs> there, I think it's, it's more prevalent even for me with like basketball recruiting. Like, I don't know if you've seen his highlights on, on Twitter, but Zion Williamson, that's a basketball. Yeah. Player. You just know that's yeah, a dude. That's a, that's a small forward. That dude can dunk. Like I just, you know, it from hearing the name, like LeBron James, that's a basketball player. But yeah, I, I would agree with you with the the Jeremy Rucker. That's a very Ohio State tight end name. That's, um, you know, obviously that doesn't actually mean anything. But you know, with with watching his his film and the talent he has on the field, paired with a great tight end name, this this kid is special. Um, he's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think he has the potential to be one of the best tight ends in Ohio State history. Uh, there's not a ton of great tight ends in Ohio State history, which is always kind of weird. But um, you know, as we saw Marcus Ball kind of find a a place in this offense this past season and, and find a, a place where he thrives after three years of not really knowing what he is, I think Jeremy Rucker could stuck could step in pretty early and see playing time. There's there's a lot of talent at tight end on this roster with you know guys like Jake Houseman and uh, Luke Farrell and uh, AJ Alexander is no longer on the roster because of a, a medical issue. But I think that Jeremy Rucker could play pretty early on, um, even with the the guys ahead of him, because he's a he's a very talented tight end. Yeah, and he's definitely going to get the chance to compete there because Rashad Berry, I think, is was second in line in tight end targets this year, and he really didn't see a ton of meaningful action when games were on the line. And it, you still got to wonder, even you know, with how athletically gifted he is in that potential is he going to be the guy is he going to be the player that you want in there blocking and one in there on a down-to-down basis so I think that guys like Farrell Barry Hausman and Ruckert are all going to have a chance to get that starting tight end job this year but just based off of because I really haven't watched a ton of Ruckert other than just you know his you know one of the recruiting highlights from last year what does he bring to the table that makes him such a special tight end and this is a guy that Urban Meyer who granted has been known to be a little bit hyperbolic from time to time what makes him such a special tight end because Meyer was like this is the best tight end recruit I've ever watched (laughs) I I wouldn't disagree with that um Ruckert is especially interesting as a tight end prospect mainly because he doesn't play tight end like in high school, he does not play tight end. He plays wide receiver for his high school, and he does it at six foot six, two hundred and forty pounds. He's that's how athletic he is. He's not just at you know wide receiver because he's bigger than everybody else. He's at wide receiver because he's a legitimate wide receiver. And uh, if Ohio State wants to put him at wide receiver, he would be successful. Um, that he's just enormous upside great frame for a tight end um he has solid hands really good uh range and catch radius he's not a great blocker he's he's more of a receiving tight end but he's i think he's just a playmaker um he's the kind of athlete that you almost never see at the tight end position he's fast he's a great jumper uh he's just He's fun to watch, and I hope Ohio State uses him the right way because he's really, really talented. This is probably a conversation for one of the off-season podcasts we do, but and we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I think that Ohio State is going not look much different on offense next year, but I think that there's going to be a different flavor to the offense next season and going forward a little bit when it comes to the passing game and sort of some of the concepts 
that they run. And I would be surprised if a guy like Ruckert or whoever gets that tight end job, because all these guys are just supremely talented. Not that Marcus Baugh isn't, but I think that the tight ends will be used in a different way next season, given the different styles between JT Barrett and, uh, and Dwayne Haskins. So something to look out for. And if you're listening to this and we're 20 minutes in, there's a reason that I buried Probably it, it was the biggest story of the week for Ohio State because I, I think that there's been a lot of negativity going on with Ohio <laughs> State recruiting this week, and, and rightfully so because there were some big, big misses and, and decommits that happened, most notably Jackson Carmen, the five-star tackle from Fairfield, Ohio, the ninth overall player in the 2018 class, the number one rated player in the state of Ohio, picks Clemson, you know, Following this from kind of an outside view as somebody that doesn't really know what totally is going on in recruiting, just hearing that Carmen was involved with Clemson throughout this process, I guess I wasn't really as shocked as some people seem to have been from him picking Clemson. But uh, what do you make of Carmen's decision? We'll get into the negative recruiting thing here in a second, but just how big of a miss is this for Ohio State when it comes to the on the field product? It's a it's a really big miss. Um there's really not other <clears throat> there's not a way to really sugarcoat it and to, you know, try to try to say, well we didn't really want him, which some people do for some reason, which isn't necessary. People can stop doing that. But uh he's an outstanding talent. There's a reason that he's a top ten player. There's a reason he's the number one offensive tackle in the country. Uh there's a reason he's the best player in the state of Ohio, according to twenty four seven sports. Um he's strong, he's athletic, he's a very, very good offensive lineman and it's you know, it's a big miss. Uh Ohio State doesn't miss on a ton of top guys in Ohio. Uh I know in the twenty sixteen class they missed on uh, a couple of big-time offensive linemen, but for the most part, under Urban Meyer, they have gotten these guys. Even under Trestle, they got these guys, and it seems like, and this is this is not to assume this is what happened, but it seems like Ohio State kind of took this one for granted. They they kind of thought that he was just kind of taking his time and exploring and trying to see the country rather than actually considering a school like Clemson or USC or any school that wasn't Ohio State and they they kind of assumed that because he was an Ohio guy he would end up at Ohio State and Clemson was a legitimate threat through this entire process and Ohio State never really led Uh, Ohio State was always there but they just missed they did a bad job recruiting him and ultimately that was the biggest deal not you know negative recruiting or not Carmen having a grudge against Ohio State or anything silly like that it was just Ohio State didn't do a good enough job recruiting him and you know getting him into the class or involved with the other guys in the class they just plain missed and it's it's a bad miss do you think that this situation is indicative of any larger issue going on with Ohio State's coaching staff's relationship with state of Ohio players and state of Ohio coaching because one of the things people love to bring up is is how little Ohio presence that this class has had so far there's four kids from Ohio there's four kids from the state of Florida in this class and that that's a lot of the talk right now is you know Ohio State has been neglecting the state of Ohio, you see Michigan State really hitting it hard right now. Kentucky's been able to benefit from that. Do you think there's anything to that? Well, I, I'm really – I'm not one of the people who's, you know, super upset about Ohio State only bringing in like five Ohio guys in a class. Um, last year with the, you know, recruiting 
quarterback recruiting controversy when it came down to uh, the Ohio guy, Danny Clark, and obviously the guy Ohio State ultimately took, Tate Martell. I was on the side of Martell. Um, I think in general I am on the side of Ohio State taking the most talented players, and if those guys are from Ohio, then they go get them. If they're not, then they don't. Um, and the reason that I kind of have that that feeling and, and kind of think that way is because Michigan State and Kentucky get a lot of Ohio guys, and then they don't do anything. They win nine games, and Kentucky doesn't, you know, do much of anything. And it's just that that's a combination, obviously, of a number of things. But you know, settling settling for three-star guys or four-star guys, low four-star guys, because they're from your state, is a good way to not win, you know, ten games a season or to go to. Um, you know, New Year's Day bowl games in Ohio State is continuously going to good bowl games and continuously going to the playoff and competing with the best in the country because they go get the best in the country. Um, and ultimately, I really don't think that not recruiting Ohio enough is a big issue because that just means that they're landing better players from elsewhere. If they start missing on those national guys, it'll start to be a concern that they don't have the kind of connections needed uh, in Ohio to survive a bad recruiting cycle nationally. But it hasn't happened yet, and I, I don't think it will. Uh, so at this point, I really don't think that that's a big issue for Ohio State. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all, and I think ultimately ultimately it probably says more about the state of state of the state of Ohio recruiting right now and the talent in the state of Ohio than really anything. And I'm certainly team go get the best players available no matter where they're from. They're always going to have a presence in Ohio, and Ohio's going to produce good players, especially the top-end ones, but I, I don't think there's any reason for Ohio State to revert back to the Jim Trestle era where you're trying to bring in eight, nine kids from from the state. And the reason that, that this is such a big deal and is talked about is because it's always been assumed that if Ohio State doesn't secure the border that Michigan will raid the state. And if you take a look at UM's class of 2018, there isn't a single Ohioan in there. Michigan really hasn't been a beneficiary of Ohio State doing that. Jim Harbaugh has not made that a part of his plan, given that Ohio State is recruiting more nationally. And back to Carmen a little bit, because we got to talk about the other stuff that came out of this. He, I think I read it's the first time since 2007 that the top kid from Ohio has gone anywhere other than Ohio State. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, Jordan Hicks, the linebacker, who went to Texas, and everybody flipped out when that happened. And in the end, it's just one player. And I think it definitely hurts to miss out on a guy like that, but it'll hurt more if Ohio State misses on a guy like, like Max Ray or if they bring in any other tackles in this class, and those guys turn out to be scrubs. So if they're able to get a good player or two at tackle, then, yeah, it sucks you didn't get the top guy, but... You can manufacture good players out of it, then it's fine. Yeah, ultimately he's just one player. Um, it's not even you know someone like a a high level quarterback, which Ohio State also lost. But um, in general, tackle is a position that there's lots of. There's lots of good tackles. Ohio State has good tackles in this class. They'll be fine. Um, it, it hurts to lose a guy like that. It's embarrassing to lose a guy like that, especially to a school that is you know kind of whooping you on the field when you play them too um and ohio state would certainly like to kind of get the the clemson monkey off their back but at, at this point it's really it's not a huge deal it's not like a reason to go you know say that the sky is falling and that urban meyer has lost his touch it's just you know ohio state didn't get him and that's okay because they'll go get somebody else and they have gotten other guys who will be you know 
good, if not as good, but still good, and you know they'll contribute and they'll be good. And I think in general people have kind of overreacted to the you know the end of this cycle and not even the end of the cycle but the you know how this early signing period went for Ohio State so afterwards Carmen mentioned that Dabo Swinney told him that Urban Meyer is on the back end of his career and said it wasn't a major factor in his decision process but it was an underlying one in the choice that he made and this sparked off uh, a fury of tweets and stories and commentary about negative recruiting and what people think about it we know it happens everywhere, and I know that Urban Meyer has said that Ohio State doesn't engage in it. I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, you come on. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> and, and I think that there's probably a difference from what Meyer and other coaches think is negative recruiting and maybe burying another team and saying, uh, a guy like James Franklin, he's not a very good coach. He's not a very good X's and O's guy. And saying, well, if you look at the history of Penn State receivers, they don't necessarily put out a lot of talent. And I think a lot of coaches probably think that that's not being negative. But every staff does this in some way, shape, or form. But in your opinion, is there is there anything to this? Because I think it was pretty much much ado about nothing. Well, the, the number one thing that I kind of thought of with this whole situation, and I, I want to get your, your opinion on this, do you think Dabo's wrong? Because I don't think Dabo's wrong. I mean... Obviously, it feels kind of like I don't like that he was misleading a teen because I don't think Urban Meyer will be gone during Jackson Carmen's career because I think it'll probably just be three years. Um, but I, I mean, I think Urban Meyer is on the back half of his career. I, I don't think that's really a controversial opinion. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that that is either. He's definitely closer to the end than he is to the start. But this is a conversation I've had with Matt on the podcast, and we've talked about in the Slack room too. And I tend to be in the minority in this opinion that maybe Urban Meyer isn't going to be at Ohio State in, in 10 years from now, but I think that this is his last job. And as long as they continue to win at the level they are and to recruit at the level they are, which, you know, I don't see any reason that they can't do that because there's no team in the Big Ten that has better resources than them. There's no team that has a, a better tradition in modern football than them, including Michigan. I think that everything is stacked up for them to make this run as long as they want. So six, seven years out of Urban Meyer, I, I think is definitely plausible. But if you're just saying that he's literally closer to the end of his career than the start, definitely. The guy's 53. I, I think, you know, he wins one more national championship and makes a run at, at two others. Then I think that he'll call it a career. There's really nothing else for him to prove at this point already. So it's just a matter of how long he wants to coach. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you that this will be his last, you know, job, and however long it lasts just depends on however long he wants it to last. But um, I just, I, I think that however long Ohio State has Urban Meyer, it's you know important to kind of appreciate that. And ultimately, when Ohio State finds a new coach after Urban Meyer, they'll probably be fine, uh, whoever it is. Ohio State, as you mentioned, has a ton of resources. Um, they have a ton of resources when it comes to the staff that they hire, um, when it comes to people funding the program, when it comes to stadium, all of this stuff. Ohio State is set up to succeed. And, you know, a little bit of negative recruiting, which happens everywhere. It doesn't just happen at Clemson. It happens at Ohio State. It happens at Michigan. It happens at Penn State. It happens at Alabama. It happens everywhere. Uh, a little bit of negative recruiting really isn't a huge deal. Um, I don't like 
the idea of it. I think it's kind of misleading, um, and I, I'm not a fan of misleading recruits. But ultimately, it's you know, as we said, it's one recruit, um, and I, I don't think it's a huge deal. And I, I certainly don't think it's a huge. It's as big of a deal as people made it out to be. On the subject of misleading recruits, how many of these dudes do you think are going to have new jobs by the end of? tomorrow or by the end of the weekend after this early <laughs> signing period is over like I, that's the one thing that I don't like and when we saw that with Stan Drayton at Ohio State in the recruitment of Mike Weber and I think that in the next week you're gonna see a lot of assistants take other jobs and that's more of a general problem with recruiting in college football and other sports that really just kind of adds to the, the layers of being unfair to, to the players and them having no power. But that's a subject for another day. The other two big stories that came out of that first day were the two flips. Quarterback Emory Jones committed to Ohio State since 2016, I believe, in July. He flipped to Florida to go play for Dan Mullen. This is one where Florida kind of stepped in at the very end. Most people assumed it was going to be Alabama, but as it got closer to that 12th hour, it looked like Florida or Florida State were the only two options. But he ends up flipping to Florida. And then in a very amusing ceremony, <laughs> defensive back Jaden Woodbay flips to Florida State in a move that was like totally unprecedented, totally crazy. Uh, what, what do you think about these? Is either of them a huge deal for Ohio State? I'm in the minority here again. I think it's great for both of those two kids. Go play where you want to play. But in the end, I think that Ohio State's going to be just fine without either one of them, even though they would have been great additions. Yeah, on, I think one of them matters way more than the other one um, just because, I mean, Ohio State, and it's, it's a pretty common thing, and I, I mentioned this earlier, it's pretty common for fans to be like, well, we didn't want him anyway. Ohio State did not send in Marie Jones in NLI. They did not. They Ohio State has not been recruiting Emory Jones for the entire month of December. Uh, as soon as they landed Matthew Baldwin, they stopped recruiting Emory Jones. Um, they expected him to decommit before this. He didn't. Uh, it was ultimately just an appearances thing. Emory Jones has been out of the class for a while now. But, uh, you know, with that, Ohio State feels like they got a quarterback that they like in Matthew Baldwin. I'm not entirely sold yet. That's a kind of a discussion for a different podcast. But uh, I think in that, you know, regard, they're fine. The Wood Bay thing is really bad. That's, I mean, just absolutely a failure on the part of Ohio State. This is a guy who they had committed for a long time. Um, for the most part, they had kept him pretty secure in the class there was you know, talk of him possibly flipping to oklahoma or, or he's a usc legacy possibly flipping to usc but losing him to a school that offered him a week ago and has been talking to him for like eight days is just bad that's i mean the ohio state left the front door open and willie taggart came in and took the recruit like they just it's it was a massive failure on their part and obviously you know, he, he had a connection to Florida State growing up. I, I think if I remember right, he was a Florida State fan growing up. But, you know, one week of contact and, you know, he took a visit to Florida State that Ohio State didn't know about. And it's just, it was bizarre. Um, it was really unlike anything I've seen in recruiting. Um, he did like an hour and a half long Periscope and the first hour was just him like saying <laughs> people's Twitter accounts. I, I, I don't know if you watched it, but it was just like him shouting out his friends on Twitter, which is like really cool. It was a cool thing to do. Um, <laughs> but it was just 
it was just weird. The whole thing was weird. It, it felt weird. Um, I don't know if this is just Willie Taggart's thing. I'm not super familiar with his recruiting tactics, but Ohio State kind of got to figure out their Florida State issue because Florida State seems to be competent again, and that's not great news for Ohio State because they've got some guys that they are looking at in the 2019 class and the 2018 class even that Florida State might try and go get. And if Ohio State's not ready, they're going to lose them like they did with Wood Bay. And I, I think in the grand scheme of things, he's you know, he's a very talented player, and that's a bad loss because Ohio State could use safeties. And you know, obviously they have Tyreek Johnson, they have Josh Proctor, and those guys are both very good. Uh, but... Woodbay is a five-star. He's a game-changer. He probably would have played at least special teams as a freshman. And while they have plenty of defensive back depth, it's still you don't just like to give away five stars, and that's pretty much what they did. Yeah, it sucks to lose a guy at the end there, but I also think like if a kid's going to commit after a week, after literally asking Florida State on Twitter if he could get an <laughs> <Come> offer <on. laughs> and basically go visit once and within a week, go commit to another school. I think like if you're Ohio state, it sucks to lose that type of talent. But at the same time, if a 17 year old kid wants to do that, like by all means, <laughs> like go ahead because that, I, not that that's anything says anything about Wood Bay or his character, but there's really, if a kid's going to do that, there's nothing you can really nothing <laughs> you can do, especially if he's been committed for that long. So it'll be interesting to see how Wood Bay's career plays out at Florida State it was one of the more uh interesting commitment ceremonies I only caught like the last 10 minutes of it but people were freaking out on Twitter that were covering it because he took a long time to commit but back to Jones for a second I think that you made a good point that a lot of people haven't been talking about Ohio State basically they knew what the deal was and Jones left his relationship status on Facebook as in a relationship but everybody knew everybody knew it was over and I think that that's fine, and I think he'll have a very good career at Florida. But when Baldwin committed, we talked about it on the podcast that there was still a possibility. But ultimately, Ohio State staff knew what was up, and they moved in another direction. And if there's one thing, there's a lot of things you can't criticize the staff about when it comes to recruiting, but they always have a plan at quarterback. And for the last five years since Urban Meyer's been here, they've always had depth there. So I don't think that that's going to be an issue going forward, even though Emory Jones is a very talented kid and I would have loved to see him play in this offense. Yeah. And I definitely agree with the, you know, staff always has somebody in mind and uh, this is more of a topic for the off season and, you know, even next season recruiting discussions, but the staff is probably going to bring in two quarterbacks next season. And um, if you're looking for a good football game to watch uh, tomorrow, I want I want to say it's tomorrow. Uh, Grant Tisdale, 2019 quarterback who Ohio State really wants, is playing against Lake Travis, um, which is Matthew Baldwin's school. I don't think Matthew Baldwin's going to be playing in the um, Texas Division Six, which is the top division, I guess, uh, 1A championship. And that, that'll be good football. So if you're interested in that, I'm sure that'll be on somewhere. But... Um, yeah, I, ultimately losing Emory Jones isn't a huge deal. Um, they got a guy, they got a guy who they like a lot. Um, if it if it'll end up you know working out, I you know it's hard to say. Um, I think Emory Jones probably fits the offense better. I think also Ohio State staff knows more about their offense than I do, uh, and they probably know what they're doing 
<clears throat> and ultimately it's it's hard to doubt them at this point after what they have done under Urban Meyer and I don't have a national championship and he has several so when it comes down Multiple, to it yeah. yeah when it when it comes down to it the decision to kind of go in a different direction is is hard to question even though the stars on 24/7 sports indicate differently but that's you know it, it is what it is and it's it's hard to complain about quarterback recruiting of all things under urban meyer is that our main takeaway from this podcast that urban meyer knows about more more about football than we do <laughs> the main takeaway is that nothing matters <laughs> okay so with all that being said 21 signees we talked about the flips talked about missing out on carmen uh, as we go forward, because there's still space left in this class, there is still the usual February signing day. What's left on Ohio State's plate? Who are the remaining targets? What What are the guys they have a shot on? And how much space is left in this class? Well, with the 21 guys, um, <clears throat> I would imagine there's probably about four spots left. Uh, 25 is always kind of the main number. Um Ohio State, really, there's not a ton left. Most of the stuff left is in the trenches. Um, as we mentioned earlier, the, the defensive end, uh, kind of a you know a trio of uh, Tyreek Smith, uh, Jason Owe, and Tyler Friday are the kind of the three main defensive end targets left. As of right now, I think Ohio State probably gets two of the three, which is way better than it was a month ago. Uh, I think all three of those guys are signing or not signing, committing on January 4th at the All-American Bowl, um, the Army All-American Bowl. Uh, outside of that, there's a couple tackles. Um, Nicholas Petit Frere, I think, um, and Rashid Walker are two big offensive tackle targets. Um, there's a couple big-time cornerbacks as well who are still uncommitted, including um, American Heritage duo Patrick Surton, Junior and uh, Tyson Campbell. I'm not sure how likely either of those guys are, but we know how Urban Meyer likes to kind of <clears throat> add big time guys really late in the process, seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, and that might not be as likely this season with a lot of guys already signed, but um, I, I think that it'll be a good finish for Ohio State, especially at the positions where they need it, which is you know defensive end, offensive tackle and probably a surprise at a skill position. you have any final words on this class? I feel like we, we covered about everything in the early signing period. It's good. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's yeah, damn, it's, it's a damn good. good. I, I wouldn't let to the listeners. And I, I always say, we're not going to tell you how to fan. And if you want to be upset about the finish, that's cool, but don't let the finish fool you into thinking this isn't a good class because it's one of the best classes in the country. And as you said earlier, Patrick, it's very balanced. There's a lot of really talented players in this class and maybe not guys that are going to be stars right away. But I think in two, three years from now, you're going to see a lot of really productive players out of this class. Yeah. There's depth in this class. There's talent in this class. There's high end talent in this class. There's developmental guys. You, you've got pretty much everything you could ask for. Um, you know, minus an offensive tackle and a safety and a quarterback that some people had an affinity for, but ultimately they'll be fine. Um, it's a good, it's a good class. There's a good staff here, a very, very good developmental staff. Uh, it's, it, I mean, it's a really good group. I, I don't know what else to, what else to add about it. I think it's a group that'll get even better over the next month and a half or so, and Ohio State fans will get over the. Um, the many things that they were upset about over the last couple of days. Malik Hooker's little brother in yeah. this class too. So that, that should be fun to watch out how that plays. But uh, I feel like we kept it really positive on the podcast today, Patrick. Have you checked out our, speaking of that, have you checked out our, our iTunes reviews lately? Oh, are they, um, 
Are they very positive and, and nice? No, we did cool. not get a good one after the Big Ten championship game. And, and let me read it to you and for our listeners. Please please just indulge this with me. And if you don't like us, you'll really enjoy this one. I won't read which name it is, but it says, I'm not saying that you guys can't be critical of Ohio State, but you literally just spent the last hour calling the team subpar and the coaches abusive. You guys border on pure sanctimony. Mm. And frankly, I think the team and the coaching staff have a better track record than you are portraying. I'm not sure how that can ever rub Buckeye Nation the right way. Maybe you're just having a bad night. And the title of it was Sanctimonious. So how do you feel about that, Patrick, you sanctimonious son of a bitch? Um, can I read the definition of sanctimony? <laughs> I, I, trust me, I've already done this, and it doesn't fit. Like, say whatever you want to about us. Say that we're bad, but I don't know if Patrick and I are smart enough to be sanctimonious. We, yeah. That's one thing I will we say. We have committed religious-centric crimes against Ohio State football, the religion. <laughs> But, hey, I, I will say this. We appreciate the feedback in positive or negative. Uh, if you guys listen to the show, please go on to, on to Apple Podcasts, search Hangout in the Holy Land, leave us a review, tell us what you think about the show, and uh, tell us if we're sanctimonious Call or not. Call us heathens. <laughs> and you know what? At the end of the day, Patrick and I are just two Ohio State fans giving our opinion. We don't think that we know more than anybody when it comes to Ohio State. We're just two guys who love Ohio State football, love talking about Cruton and all the like, uh, just giving their opinions out there. And we always welcome your guys' feedback. So go on to Apple Podcasts, search Hangout in the Holy Land, and tell us what you think about the show. You there, Patrick? Yeah. I, yeah go, go ahead and give us a... A review. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> you see, we we do this unscripted. This yeah. is why this is why it sounds oh, the way it does. <laughs> but also find us on SoundCloud.com/slash/LandGrantHolyLand, and you can follow us on Twitter now at HolyLandPod. We're gonna have a ton of fantastic stuff coming your guys' way. Just because it's the off season coming up doesn't mean that we're gonna stop. We're still gonna be recording at least one episode a week. Uh, here in a couple of days after Christmas, I'm going to drop my conversation with one of the editors over at Conquest Chronicles onto the feed. We're talking about the Cotton Bowl from the USC perspective and what you can expect from the game with USC. So we got a lot of stuff coming your guys' way, and I promise we won't be sanctimonious in any of it. None of it, Patrick. We're going to keep it all the way 100 here. Yeah, that's that's what we're all about. We are. Um, this is a this is a good righteous podcast. Um, we are <laughs> we're holy. And we respect the religion that is Ohio State football. Where can people find your sanctimonious takes on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Uh, I haven't been tweeting recently, because, or at least not a ton, because Twitter is, like, really upsetting, mostly. Bad. But I, I, did, um, I did get my most important opinion off last night while I was watching the uh, Bad Boy Mowers Bowl. Which is that um, Gasparilla is actually pronounced Gasparilla, like tortilla. That's that's the kind of content. Yeah, that's the kind of content you can look for from me. It's it's Gasparilla. Thank you. <laughs> follow Patrick on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. You can follow me on Twitter at Dubsco. I've been uh, just posting Jennifer Lopez songs, so you may not want to follow me on Twitter. But if you like J Lo, follow at me. I'm on Twitter at Dubs Call. Follow us as a site on Twitter at LandGrant33. Visit LandGrantHolyLand.com. And one last time for a final plug for the show, follow us on Twitter at HolyLandPod and find it on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand and hang out in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. 
talking about all things recruiting. Make sure to check out the USC episode here in a couple days. But until then, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>